Hello, and welcome to this audio edition of Philip Husher's program notes for upcoming concerts by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra. I'm Rich Caparella. Concerts by the CSO on Thursday, March 12th through Tuesday, the 17th, feature guest conductor André de Ritter and pianist Inon Barntanan in a program of Gershwin and Ravel by Gershwin, A Symphonic Picture, Porgy and Bess, and Rhapsody in Blue, by Ravel, Piano Concerto in G Major, and Bolero. Here are Philip Pusher's program notes on George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, a work lasting about 15 minutes. Rhapsody in Blue entered the world unceremoniously on February 12, 1924, in New York City, as the 22nd of 23 pieces on a Sunday afternoon program misleadingly entitled An Experiment in Modern Music. It followed the Livery Stable Blues with Barnyard Sound Effects, a semi-symphonic arrangement of Irving Berlin tunes, and a suite of serenades by Victor Herbert. Then stepped upon the stage sheepishly a lank and dark young man, George Gershwin, the New York Times reported, and launched by the spectacular clarinet cadenza that Gershwin had jotted down in his sketchbooks scarcely a month before, Rhapsody in Blue made history. Organized by band leader Paul Whiteman, the concert proposed to trace the evolution of jazz, although the comments printed in the program, boasting about the tremendous strides which have been made in popular music from the day of discordant jazz, which sprang into existence about ten years ago from nowhere in particular, are hardly promising. Rhapsody in Blue alone justified Whiteman's dubious experiment by single-handedly opening a new chapter in the history of jazz. Ironically, Gershwin knew nothing about Rhapsody in Blue until a few weeks before the concert when he saw his name in the New York Tribune. George Gershwin is at work on a jazz concerto. When Gershwin called Whiteman to ask him what this was all about, the band leader managed to persuade the 25-year-old composer to write something scored for piano and orchestra for his concert, even if it wasn't a concerto in name. Shortly thereafter, with time quickly running out, he offered the services of his band arranger, Ferdy Grofay, to help with the orchestration. Gershwin wrote most of the piece on an upright piano in the family apartment on West 110th Street, where Grofay dropped by almost daily, as he later recalled, for more pages of George's masterpiece, which he originally composed in two-piano form. Despite the rushed, haphazard circumstances of its composition, Rhapsody in Blue is a more carefully designed and thematically tight work than is often claimed. The first 14 measures, from the clarinet's opening wail to the jaunty, accented theme in the winds that shortly follows, contain the raw material for much of the piece. Nearly two-thirds of the way through, a big piano cadenza Gershwin improvised, playing from blank pages, leads to the famous main slow theme. With a final stretch of brilliance and panache, Gershwin brings to a close what is arguably the most beloved 15 minutes in American music. When Gershwin returned to perform a second time with the Chicago Symphony Orchestra at the Ravinia Festival in July 1936, the crowd was so large, reportedly more than 8,000 people, most of them gathered on the grounds as the pavilion, which only seated 1,400, had long been sold out, that many were forced to climb trees to catch a glimpse of the composer. Gershwin played the piano solo in his concerto in F and Rhapsody in Blue. 
probably for the first time in their lives, one reporter wrote, several members of high society accustomed to having the best seats had to jostle with everyone else for a place to sit or stand in order to see and hear America's new sensation. Program notes by Philip Husher on George Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. And now on to Maurice Ravel's Piano Concerto in G Major, a work lasting about 23 minutes. Ravel wrote home from his first tour of the United States in 1928, I am seeing magnificent cities and chanting countries, but the triumphs are exhausting. In Chicago, at the matinee concert of the Chicago Symphony that he conducted on January 20th, Ravel accepted thunderous applause throughout the afternoon, a standing ovation at the end of the program, and a fanfare from the orchestra itself. But Ravel hated the sub-zero temperatures here and throughout the heartland. He shivered in Minneapolis, Omaha, and Denver, too, and was happy to move on to Los Angeles, where he had lunch with Douglas Fairbanks, who spoke French, and declined breakfast with Charlie Chaplin, who did not. The greatest thrill of his crazy American tour was meeting George Gershwin, who wanted to study with him. Ravel turned him down flat, you would only lose the spontaneous quality of your melody and end up by writing Bad Ravel, he said. Ravel returned home to France weary and famished. He found American food virtually inedible, but assured that his fame was truly international. Later, in 1928, Oxford University gave him an honorary doctorate, calling him the glory and delight of his beloved country, a man mighty with talent, both lively and tender, who persuades the learned that Pan is not dead. But Ravel would only live to compose three more major works, a ballet, Bolero, which quickly became so popular it embarrassed him, and two piano concertos. The concertos, one for the left hand and this one in G major, were written simultaneously. The left hand concerto was commissioned by the Austrian pianist Paul Wittgenstein, who had lost his right arm during the first weeks of the war. Ravel originally intended to play the other concerto himself, but by the time he put the final touches on the score, he realized that his health was rapidly declining and he would never perform it. He was soon diagnosed with the brain tumor that ultimately made it impossible for him even to sign his name. For years, Ravel had contemplated writing a concerto for Marguerite Long, who had studied with him as well as with Debussy, and it was she who played the first performance in Paris with the composer conducting. The premiere was a triumph, although Ravel's conducting lacked clarity and elasticity, in the words of one critic. Ravel subsequently ignored his doctor's orders and went on a four-month tour with Long to introduce the concerto throughout Europe. They also recorded it together. Ravel described the work as a concerto in the truest sense of the word. I mean that it is written very much in the same spirit as those of Mozart and Saint-Saëns. He had originally thought of calling the work a divertissement to emphasize its lighter qualities. The concerto makes use of long-discarded material for a Basque fantasy Ravel had begun around 1914. It opens with an allegro that suggests a Spanish fiesta spiked with American jazz. Occasional blue notes and trombone smears confirm how carefully Ravel had listened when he and Gershwin visited Harlem jazz spots together. 
A frequently repeated melodic tag recalls the opening tune of Gershwin's own Rhapsody in Blue. The velvety slow movement, for all its lush harmonies and French sonorities, is deeply indebted to Mozart. In fact, Ravel told Marguerite Long that he wrote it slowly and painstakingly, two measures at a time, with frequent reference to Mozart's clarinet quintet. The opening uninterrupted melody is much longer than any phrase in Mozart, an unadorned piano solo that unfolds slowly, twisting and turning in unexpected ways, all in one huge breath. The third movement was an afterthought, an exhilarating, saucy finale composed shortly before the premiere and designed to leave the audience in high spirits. Program notes by Philip Husher on Maurice Ravel's Piano Concerto in G. I'm Rich Caparella. Thanks for listening.